Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Man, what a joy and a gift it is to worship together with all of you this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here, I just want to say welcome. Um, everyone joining us online on live stream, good morning. Um, so my name is Riker. I am the young adults pastor here at the Vineyard. And last Sunday, Luke kicked off our new sermon series uh, titled Vineyard Core Values. And so we're exploring what is distinctive about the Vineyard Movement. And it's not about us being better than other churches or other traditions, but there's some actions and beliefs that, that shape us, that, that guide us and explain why we do what we do. And if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, Luke talked about the Vineyard core value of partnering with the Holy Spirit. And it was based on uh, John 5, and we learned that, that God is he's always at work around us, and we as his disciples partner with what God is doing. And so this morning, I want to explore and share with you the vineyard core value of experiencing and worshiping God. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we, we honor you and we thank you. Jesus, you are the way, you're the truth, you're the life, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, and we ask that you, that you stir our hearts, that you convict us, encourage us, challenge us, point us to Jesus. May your word challenge us and realign us to your kingdom and transforms us. We ask for an increased awareness of your presence and work in us and around us. And so, Jesus, we honor you. And we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. So we're going to dive into the vineyard core value of experiencing and worshiping God. So the vineyard movement at its very core, at its roots, is, is a worship movement. John Wimber, the, the, found, the founder of the vineyard movement, um, he considered worship one of its core values. And Wimber says, quote, we in the vineyard have from the very outset of our ministry made worship our highest priority, believing that it is God's desire that we become first worshipers of God. Phil Strout, he's the Vineyard USA National Director, also comments just how important it is, um, how important worship is to the vineyard. And he says, quote, for the vineyard family of churches, experiencing God in the midst of personal or corporate worship has always been one of our core values. We are at our very foundation, a people who find their greatest identity, strength, and joy in the presence of God. So the point being, worship is a core value of the vineyard. Worship is in the very DNA of the vineyard. But, so what exactly is worship? How do we define worship? Um, and there's a lot of definitions out there, and, um, but I just want to share two of them that I find that are really simple and concise. This is by Mr. John Wimber himself. He says, Worship is the act of freely giving love to God, which forms and informs every activity of the Christian's life. And another quote, this is by Louis Giglio. He says, he defines worship, um, it's our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is, what he has done, 
expressed in and by the things we say and live. So worship has always been an integral part in my life. And let me say this to clarify. Worship isn't music, and music isn't worship, right? Um, music is a tool, a way that we can facilitate worship. And so in my life, music has always been a great way to help me worship and facilitate that. And I remember growing up, uh, my mom, she would always have worship music playing in the background, whether that was in her car or in the kitchen or in her room. Like I grew up surrounded by, by worship music. And one of the first uh, worship albums that I, that I listened to, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but it's the 2005 Passion Worship album. And not only, and I, and I listened to this album like every night, every night to help me go to sleep. And I remember I would have my little tiny CD player. Who still has a CD player? Yeah, yeah, all the old folks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I remember I had my little tiny CD player with my little headphones in, and I would just listen to it and help me go to sleep. And not only did I, did I love the music, but I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I picked up on something and something special about it. And what that was, I didn't realize it until later, but it was, I was experiencing the presence of God. You see, God's presence is priority when we worship. And one of the things I deeply, deeply love about the vineyard is that we value creating a space uh, in, a, in a worship setting for people to, to get beyond the words and the music and the lights and everything, to actually sing to God and to experience his presence. And when we, when we gather to worship, we see it as a time of encounter, of refreshing, empowering um, being in the presence of a living God. And, and that encounter touches us in very deep uh, and profound places in our hearts. And it's a place where God's love can begin to change us from the inside out. Uh, when we gather to worship, we, um, we, have the, we can experience the courage to, to keep going, to live, and strength to face some of our greatest challenges. And I had a, uh, a worship pastor growing up and he, had a, he was very influential in, in my understanding of what it means to belong to a worshiping community. And I remember he told me, Riker, without the presence of God, all the songs that you sing, all the sermons that you hear and preach, all the programs that you design, all that, it's just, it's just noise without the presence of God. So the presence of God changes everything. Acknowledging and, and welcoming the real presence of Jesus in our worship gatherings, it changes everything. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the King of all kings, is present with us as we worship. And when, when, we're, when we're gathering to worship, we're not just singing about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit like there's some third like third party or like a fly on the wall listening to everything that's going on. Jesus is truly present, and he's present too in each group of Christians, small or large, who meet to worship. And so you might be asking, okay, Riker, so what you're saying is that Jesus is actually with us when we worship? Jesus, is that, is that really what's happening here? 
And the answer is yes. Yes. So each time that believers come to worship, they meet in the reality of Christ's promise in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, listen to this, where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So worship is an, ex- is an occasion to experience the incarnational presence of Christ. And we see this in, uh, in Luke 24. And just a little background, what's going on here. So up until this point, the disciples are confronted with, with an angel who announces that Jesus, that Jesus, who three days ago was crucified and placed in a tomb, uh, has resurrected and that he is alive. Okay, and we then meet two of Jesus's followers who are traveling al- along uh, the Emmaus road, and they have an encounter with the risen Jesus. And so we see in this passage um, that this Emmaus road is a roadmap for worship. And so we're going to read this passage. Um, if you have your Bibles or your phone, we're going to be reading from Luke 24. Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 13. Luke 24, 13 to 34, it reads, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As I walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as I talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened uh, there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. And all the people. Where does I go? But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel, and this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. And they said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told that Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And then verse 25, Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so Jesus went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? 
And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Wow. What an amazing story an encounter with Jesus. And as we, as we see in the beginning of the story, the two travelers were, they were just completely unaware that they were in the presence of Jesus the entire time. And there are four movements within the story um, that highlight just how Jesus is involved and he's present along this, uh, this roadmap of worship. And so first is that Jesus initiates the conversation. And even though the two travelers are they're still confused, um, perplexed about all the events surrounding Jesus, and you know there's so much going on, like they're overwhelmed, they don't understand what's going on. Like we see a God who finds them, God who accepts them, and initiates a conversation with them, and in no way expects them to be able to fully receive what He has for them at this point. Yet Jesus takes the time to engage with them and bring them to a point of readiness to hear the scriptures explain. And I know for me sometimes, if I'm being honest, like I don't feel ready to worship. <laughs> like I'm not warmed up. I'm not primed up to worship. I don't know if you guys feel that way sometimes. Um, sometimes I just feel tired. Sometimes I'm confused. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes the whole story of Jesus and the kingdom and um, the good news and all that stuff, it just seems so confusing or it just doesn't make sense, you know? But just like in the two travelers in the story, it's in that space where Jesus meets us. He meets us where we're at and gently leads us to a deeper relationship and encounter with him. And the second movement in the story is that Jesus imparts the word to them. You see, Jesus was explaining the scriptures and the matters concerning the Messiah himself. And I know, I know sometimes, you know, we can sing songs a bazillion different times and it gets old. Or we, uh, we read a passage in the Bible and it, like we read it a bazillion times and it's just like, okay, fine, whatever. We get, it gets, we get used to it. It gets common. But then, there's moments where you read a passage and you're like, oh my goodness, like, like a word or a phrase or an idea just like jumps out at you and like you see it in, in a new light, right? You're, it's illuminated in a new way and you discover some sort of facet or beauty or truth about Jesus that you've never even seen before. Well, that's God's presence. That's God's presence. Or like, like for me, like when you sing a song, you know, I'm a musician, you know, we play songs all the time, the same songs. And, but sometimes, you know, when you're singing a song, a certain word or, or a phrase or a lyric just hits you right to the heart. And like, oh my God, that's so good, you know. Um, that's the presence of God right there. That's a story of, that's the, the presence of God. You discover something fresh that you need to hear. That's God's presence there. And then in the third movement, we see that Jesus is recognized. And it's actually the climax of the story. And that's, uh, check out verse 30 and 31. It says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus was present with them all along 
yet he remained unrecognized until that point. Jesus was patient and gracious with them, and eventually they were able to perceive and welcome his presence. And finally, the story resolves with um, the travelers who, after experiencing the presence of Jesus, they're filled with joy and begin testifying that Jesus is alive and sharing the good news. And you see, having, having a true encounter with the living God leads to, to overflow, leads to overflow and sharing that with others. And we're filled, we're filled not just to like, like bottle it up and keep it to ourselves, you know, like when we encounter God and we're filled with his love and his truth and his grace, we're meant to extend that to the world and to everyone around us. You know, that, that's, what, that's what mission is. That's what evangelism is. That's what sharing the good news about the kingdom of God is. And there's just one uh, worship theologian. Her name is Constance Cherry. That's a cool name. And I'm going to share this long quote with you. It's too good. I, I have to share it. So she writes, in Christian worship, it is critical that our eyes are opened and that we recognize the living presence of Christ among us, greeting us, drawing us deeper into the encounter, teaching us the scriptures, and then breaking bread with us, whereby our eyes are opened. When we worship, we do not gather to discuss a religious idea, but to encounter the living Lord. Each time the community gathers to worship, we must understand and experience that we are entering into a dialogue with God in Jesus Christ, who is truly among us. Such an understanding changes everything. And we no longer attend worship out of obligation or because we find God interesting or because it's what we always do. Instead, we attend worship to hear from and speak to our living Lord, who has taken up residence in our community. Worship is no longer about Christ, but to Christ. It is no longer about gaining truth, but letting truth gain us. Our lethargy and carelessness dissipate when our hearts burn within us as the fire of Christ's presence warms us at his table. Wow. Wow. I love that part. It's no longer about gaining truth, but letting truth gain us. So when you think of, of God's presence, when you think of God's presence, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? So in the Psalms, there are examples of God's presence being accompanied uh, by like, positive and comforting responses. Um, in the presence of God, we see that there's, there's pleasure, there's joy, and, and mercy, we experience love and fulfillment, delight, like we, we experience God's faithfulness there, right? But we also have examples of responding to God's presence with, with fear, with reverence, and it's almost like intimidating, right? And I think sometimes our, our framework for encountering God sometimes it only has a space for like positive and comforting responses and we miss out on God's desire to, to purify us, uh, to transform us, and when we enter his presence. And as God manifests his presence in worship, he draws near, and, and as odd as this might sound, both to kill and to make alive. God's agenda 
is to kill the old self in order to make us alive in Christ. Okay, so, so, so let me clarify. Let me clarify. Like, God does not want to annihilate you. That is not what I'm trying to say here. You're going to say, oh, Riker said that God wants to kill you. No, 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 no. No, God does not want to do that to you. In the language, the actual language of Jesus, you know, God wants to, to prune us, to, to purify us, to remove things in us that run counter to his kingdom. And when we encounter holiness, we recognize our own sinfulness. And honestly, that's not really a comfortable experience, right? And we see this dynamic of this discomforting presence um, being felt uh, in Isaiah's encounter with God. And this is in Isaiah 6. And I'll read it. And it says, It was in the year King Uzziah died, that this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings, with two wings covering their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And imagine this, man. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I, have, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins forgiven. So notice how Isaiah's instinctual reaction to experiencing God and, and all his majesty and holiness and power, you know, he just cries out um, in a fearful confession of his own sin. But also notice there how quickly God's judgment, once recognized, transitions to a relieving comfort. And the critical part of this passage is the fact that the hinge on which God's presence is turned from judgment to comfort is atonement for sin. God's word of condemnation slices us open only to have his word of forgiveness sew us back together again. Experiencing God's presence is very much an experience of being born again in the language of Jesus. It's a death and it's a resurrection. And this past week, I was, I was at home and it was late at night and I was just, I just grabbed my, my little guitar and I was standing in the kitchen and I was just like, just singing, worshiping God, nothing special, nothing fancy, just singing to God. And after about like 15, 20 minutes, I was just doing that. Like I just, I felt something, I felt something strange. And it almost felt like that feeling of, like when someone really important walks into a room, you like, you feel their authority, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, like God is here in this moment. And it wasn't like this lovey-dovey kind of, which is great, you know, all the feels, it's awesome, you know? 
but it was something different. It was almost like, like, a, like a, like a heaviness, like a weight, you know, of like God's presence, like his holiness in that moment. And I caught a glimpse of that and I stopped singing and I was like, oh man, like encountering the holy God, the God who angels sing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, heaven's armies, holy is the fill his glory. Like I encountered that God and I, and it wasn't anything crazy. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything at all. I just sat there and just in reverence, just gazed upon this mighty, powerful, gracious God. And so if God's presence is both convicting and comforting, what, what, what's God's intent or agenda in manifesting his presence and revealing his presence to us? The Holy Spirit seeks to be present to make much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit seeks to be present to make much of Jesus. And there's another worship uh, theologian and who acknowledges that, quote, worship that is full of the Holy Spirit's presence and activity can be no less than an experience which also makes much of Jesus Christ and all his saving death and life. And Jesus said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So in short, the spirit's agenda and manifesting his presence to us in worship is to show us our need for Jesus and then give him to us. Wow. The spirit's agenda and manifesting his presence to us in worship is to show us our need for Jesus, but then give him to us. Experiencing Christ's real presence in worship is extremely important for, for churches today. Uh, in Western postmodern culture, um, we're gradually shifting away from, from categorically embracing the certainties of the scientific method and its conclusions that were so widely accepted in modernity. And one of the assumptions of the Enlightenment uh, was that answers to questions about the universe and, and hence society's problems were they were obtainable through through reason, through rationality, through thinking about it some more. However, this assumption is deeply suspect today. Ray S. Anderson, um, who is a theologian, he proposes that quote Christians are less concerned with proving matters about who Jesus is by accepted means of biblical scholarship than they are with actually experiencing the presence of Christ by encountering him in worship. And he suggests that, that emerging and growing churches, they tend to lean or have a bent to, to foster a simple trust-filled exchange with the risen Lord in worship. And he would argue that the landscape of He's growing and emerging churches is, is not just a matter of discovering knowledge about Christ in worship that's based on apologetics or intellectual preaching. By the way, that's super important. Theology matters. You know, we believe that. But they tend to, they tend to value having a subjective experience of an objective reality. And Anderson states that, quote, the interest in evidence that demands a verdict is not the starting place for non-Christians or Christians either. 
the interest in intersecting with the real living presence of Jesus is the starting place. So if I lost you there, basically what he's saying is most people tend to respond better by having a life-changing encounter uh, with Jesus rather than by arguing with them about why they should, they should believe in Jesus and the Bible and stuff. That's basically what he's saying. Okay. You guys hanging in there? Yes. Okay, cool. So, with all that being said, there's a lot of stuff we covered. Thanks for hanging in with me. How do we, how do we apply all this? What do we do with it? How do we put it into action? And I'm a simple person, so I just have one thing, one application, one key takeaway from all this, from all this being said, and that is to cultivate a longing for God. Cultivate a longing for God. Well, how do we do that? What do we do? Okay, so ask, ask Jesus for eyes of faith. To know God's presence is to delight in him. And if you're like, well, Riker, I don't really actually believe that Jesus is actually present here with us. Like, I believe God is distant. He's not here. He's kind of like away. He's not here. Well, contend for it. Believe in God's presence. Pray for it. Long for it. We need to regularly pray for God to grace us in our congregation with eager anticipation and awareness of his presence. Okay, so here's the application, the challenge for all of us today. So I want us to, to pray that our awareness of Jesus' presence is heightened. Ask God to, to take us and take you on that Emmaus road journey, that roadmap of worship where we recognize Jesus' real presence and we're transformed by it. And so to wrap, wrap it all up, to, to land the plane, the vineyard, it's a worship movement that values experiencing and worshiping God, acknowledging and welcoming the real presence of Jesus. It's an absolute game changer. And God's presence brings both conviction, but also comfort, kills, but also resurrects and brings life. And the Spirit's agenda in manifesting his presence to us in worship is, I love this, it's to show us our need for Jesus and then to give him to us. And so the challenge for us today as a church and as disciples of Jesus is to cultivate a personal and corporate longing for God. And when we encounter the living God, it's a powerful testimony to the world of the kingdom of God at work. And so we're going to now continue on in worship, and we're going to partake in communion, the Lord's Supper. And in Luke 24, you know, it says that when Jesus and the travelers finally were at the table, Jesus, he, they, had, they shared a meal together. They took bread, they broke it, and they blessed it. And then it says the travelers there, their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus. And so communion is a space to worship. Communion is a space to encounter the living presence of Jesus. And so Donna is going to lead us in communion. And so can we all stand as we, as we worship together?
Thank you so much, Riker. Yeah. In that um, time that Riker was teaching, uh, some things that I took away from it was that Jesus took time to spend time with people. You know, he he took time. Um, God led him to that trail and met those people just exactly where they're at. And also, God's presence is everywhere. God's presence is here. He's here even when we, this is another form of worship. Um, it's just like little steps. It's another form of worship that is our, our time with the Lord's table. So in a moment, um, we're going to receive communion together. If you didn't receive uh, the communion elements, they're up here at each table. Um, go ahead and feel free to come. Anyone is welcome to um, grab one. So here at the Vineyard, we invite all who follow Jesus to come to the Lord's table and receive the bread and the cup. And if you're here this morning and perhaps you're new to the church, we'd also like to invite you to experience God's grace. We're all human. <laughs> We're all sinners. So everyone is welcome. And just to open up the um, communion element, um, you can just peel back the top layer. You take the first layer off and this is our bread and as Jesus was preparing to die on the cross Jesus longed to gather with his friends for a meal his friends were preparing a feast on the Jewish holiday known as the Passover Jesus looked at his friends and in the Gospel of Matthew we read these words Jesus took some bread and blessed it then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they said, Each of you drink it, drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink with you in, in my Father's kingdom. And that's Matthew 26, 26 through 29. So as we hold this bread up, let us remember the body of Christ as we receive together. Go ahead and partake. As we drink this cup, let us remember the shed blood of Jesus and receive together. Let's drink together. Another thing that Riker was talking about this morning was um, ways to encounter God and um, encountering the living Lord like he's living and so um, I think that was just a really excellent message 
this morning. We can take away from that. We can apply it to our lives. We can apply it to our week. And um, I'm going to um, pray for us really quick, and then we'll just close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, so, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you so much for the message that Riker um, spent time this week and the last couple weeks, Lord, preparing. And I pray that we would just encounter you more, Lord, that our, our, our eyes and our hearts would be open to um, someone on that trail, Lord, that we need to spend time with and break bread with and, spend, and just um, bless them, Lord. I thank you for your word and how we can apply it to each day. And I pray that you just bless this time in your holy name. Amen. So um, I think the, yeah, the Lord's Prayer is up here. So um, if you guys could follow, I'm going to turn off the mic. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll start us. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Um, please come back next week at 10 o'clock. We also have uh, core groups here at the church building starting at 630 every Wednesday night. Um, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Thank you again. Love you guys. <laughs>